you know, what we what we're releasing and where the company's been moving is following on that original mission, but to give you tools to just understand what's out there about you on the web. Is there anything that could be flagged in an online background check, a dumb image, a stupid tweet? Are you checking off the boxes that makes you look the way you should that showcases all the skills you've acquired and just give that, you know, continue to give that power to consumers, especially as, you know, organizations, employers, banks are going to use your online presence to like try to make decisions about you. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have Patrick Ambron, who's the CEO of Brand Yourself, which is an online reputation management tool that makes it easy for anyone to control what comes up when people search for them online. Plus, he has more stuff coming, which he's going to talk about in a little bit. Pat, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you tell us a little bit kind of about yourself and you know, share your story a little bit? Sure. So, you know, I run a company called brandyourself.com and the basic thesis of the company is just that today how you look online matters, right? It directly impacts your career. You're going to be looked up and, and increasingly so. And our whole idea is how do we help you make sure that you don't have something online that's going to derail your career or, or lose you opportunities? And how do we make sure you check off the boxes so you're doing everything you can to actually get the opportunities you deserve? Now, it started when I was in school, my co-founder, Pete, couldn't get an internship, and it turned out it was because he was being Googled and was being mistaken for a criminal with the same name from around the same area. And this was you know, years and years ago, like 2009. So online screening hasn't, hadn't really blown up yet, but you were going to be Googled, and we realized as an individual, you know, this stuff matters, right? This is part of your first impression. And uh, the problem was Pete went to like classic online reputation management companies and he couldn't get a quote for under $25,000. Wow. Yeah, and it, it's because the industry wasn't meant for individuals or professionals or consumers. It was catered towards corporations, enterprises, maybe high net worth individuals in some cases. And it was a pretty hands-on process to try to fix issues like this. And that was kind of where we, we decided, well, what about – you know, this is going to be something maybe not today, but sometime in the future, like every consumer and professional is going to need to really think about what's out there about them online for better or for worse. And what if we created tools to help them really understand that? Now, when we started out, because we were really just helping people fix issues, right? It wasn't as proactive. It was more of something bad already happened. So we were getting people who came to us and said, you know, I – I fired an employee and they went and trashed me on the web and now I feel like I can't go for another job interview because I'm going to look like the worst manager ever, right? Because that's the only thing you find about me. Or, you know, the big one is um, uh, you broke up with somebody, right? And they went on and they just vindictively trashed you. And the most extreme of that, I don't know if you're familiar with revenge porn, but uh, – yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we deal with a lot of helping revenge porn victims and then, you know, that's the extreme case of that. But, you know, when we started the business – 
we were really helping professionals who had had a big issue online that was affecting their career but didn't have, you know, couldn't pay $25,000 to fix it. And we provided them tools and occasionally services to help them deal with those issues and, and at least tell a more relevant story online. And then kind of as we grew, you know, what, what's been happening in the, you know, in the world is just since we started, online screening has, pro, you know, become way more common. Where now, like the majority of employers, not only are Googling you, they do like an online social media background check, where you'll literally get an email from an employer that basically says, "All right, you have 24 hours to friend these accounts, and someone's going to go through, or some algorithm is going to go through every Facebook post, every Instagram post, every tweet, all your Google results, and and they're basically looking for red flags, but they're also looking for kind of reinforcing factors. To me, it's like terrifying. I don't. Do you ever watch a show, Black Mirror? I've heard good things about it. It's a great show. One of the episodes in the latest season has this like kind of like terrible thing where like everything you do is rated online constantly by those around you and it just creates this kind of like debilitating life where you're constantly, you know, having to, to, to be, you know, you can't really you have to be perfect all the time type thing. And it's like that's kind of like what we see this online screening is because for every for every person they catch that actually was, you know, a bad person. You know, you get a bunch of people who's like, yeah, that was taken out of context because I misunderstood how to use that platform, you know, not realizing it was going to be read and interpreted in this context, stuff like that. And on the other end, there's some people who are really good at it where we realize that there's so many great self-promoters out there, uh, especially online. And we think there's an inverse relationship between people who are good at self-promotion and people who are actually good at what they promote themselves for. But it doesn't matter because those people get the opportunities. And you know, what, we, what we're releasing and where the company's been moving is following on that original mission, but to give you tools to just understand what's out there about you on the web. Is there anything that could be flagged in an online background check, a dumb image, a stupid tweet? Are you checking off the boxes that makes you look the way you should, that showcases all the skills you've acquired, and just give that, you know, continue to give that power to consumers, especially as, you know, organizations, employers, banks are going to use your online presence to, like, try to make decisions about you. Uh, and that's pretty much been what I, I guess you could say dedicated my adult life to. Yeah, and you've been doing this for a while, right? Since college? Yeah, since almost almost 10 years, so nine years. Got it, okay, cool. So actually, I think there's the, I think there's a moment, I mean, you appeared on Shark Tank, is that correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So how, how'd that go? How did that experience go? Like what ended up happening? And yeah, let's, let's, let's start with that. It was a phenomenal experience in the sense that uh, the way Shark Tank works is they go and you, you go out and you film and like they film most of the series in short blocks. I think they, they do it in like they film a whole season in like one, two week block. I think now I heard that they might separate it into two, two week blocks as they have put more episodes on per season, et cetera. But you go in there, you, you kind of just jump into it and they don't limit how much time you're in there. So I was in there for about an hour and a half. They cut it down to six or seven minutes, which, which can be terrifying in and of itself because you don't know how they're going to cut that thing. Right. But for us... You know, we fortunately we were portrayed really well. We didn't end up taking an offer, but the exposure following it, and I, and I think we were kind of a perfect case because we're a web-based consumer tool that anybody can go use, buy, etc. So anybody watching could become a customer that day. So we don't have some of the limitations if you're like selling a physical product of inventory or if you're like kind of a locally based business. So for us, even though we didn't end up taking a deal, the exposure was. Was, was pretty crazy. I mean, we did probably in the 30 to 45 days that followed it airing, it aired about a year after we filmed it. 
we probably did directly attributable to that. So on top of what we would normally do, over a million dollars of additional revenue in that time period. Wow. Which, you know, for a growing startup, that's huge. And what was interesting is for us, like when we leveled down, like when, you know, the, the big blip kind of settled down, we settled down to like twice our normal amount of traffic and business than we did pre-Shark Tank. So like it, we had like a lasting kind of like awareness boost from it even even beyond that. Yeah. Okay. And so I'm, I'm sure from an SEO perspective too, you got a ton of links from that too, which kind of helped with that lift, right? You're exactly right. So there's all sorts of long lasting benefits and we actually get we average one rerun a month, you know, on like CNBC or something. And we always get a nice little blip from that as well. Mm, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, it really is. So, okay, tell me about the offer that you declined. What was the offer? Who was it from? And why did you decline it? So we went in asking for $2 million for a 13.5% stake in the company. And the reason for that number was when I got asked, when like I went on Shark Tank, I was actually in the process of actually raising and that was the valuation that I had, I had started raising on and, and had had some committed. So I basically went in offering them, you know, I'll give you the same valuation, right? And mm-hmm. Robert Herjavec offered $2 million, but for 25%. And, you know, it's obviously that was twice as much essentially of, of what we were asking. And I tried to get him down to the middle. You know, the, the truth of the matter was like, I can't give you twice as good a deal as I'm about to give everybody else. Right. And, you know, in, in the in the way it airs, it shows like there was like a stalemate. Like he, we actually, in reality, negotiated a little bit. You know, I understood his position. You know, he's an angel investor. Like it's, it's got to be worth his while. And I, I tried to meet him in the middle by saying, I understand the extra value you add given, you know, how high profile you are. And, you know, on top of that, I can give you some advisory stock on top of it, some options and, and try to get you closer to your number. But ultimately, we weren't able to to get somewhere that was that I felt like I was able to do to be fair to the investors I was working with and, and committing to. So, you know, all that said, logically and, you know, the decision was easy, but like I, I just can't take that deal. But in the moment, it was it was strangely really difficult because, you know, we were still really trying to make it. We hadn't raised a lot of money. The money was going to go a, a long way. We were trying like two million dollars at the time having the guy there like offering it, even though it wasn't quite the right, it was really hard to say, nah, sorry. So how were you guys doing at the time revenue wise? So we, we had done 2 million total in sales. Got it. So like the trajectory at the time in our first year. So we, we, we launched in 2009 and had no revenue for a long We for, for years, it was just like, we were launching crappy products that nobody was buying or using. Then in 2012, like we finally launched something that gained traction, worked well and we started getting revenue on. So Count 2012 was our first year as a revenue generating company. And the years before it was just us kind of chasing our tails and up in upstate New York. So in that first year, we had done $400,000. The second year, we had done $800,000. And then that third year, right in the middle of that year, I had gone on Shark Tank. We were on pace to do about $2 million. Uh, and that's what we ended up doing that. So that's about where we were as a company. Got it. Okay. Great. And last question on Shark Tank. So at the time, you did it pretty early. It was was like season what? Three, four, two? No, it was actually, it was season six. Season six. Okay. Were they still taking a piece of the company for you to be on? No, it was the first season in which they didn't. Great. Okay, cool. That's that's a good deal for you. So overall, it's a, it's a huge win. Okay, cool. So I mean, talk about the business a little bit. I mean, how do you guys, I guess, how do you guys uh, make money right now? How do you guys charge? Is it a la carte? Is it a SaaS product? Like, how does it work? So our model is pretty straightforward. So again, what our tools do is 
the tool as it currently lives is more catered towards dealing with negative issues. Do you have a negative Google result? How do you remove it or delete it? Or how do you bury it or whatever it is? Right. The tool, which will have the same model that we're releasing, is more expansive where it actually looks at images, social media posts, things that shows you things you should delete, shows you things you can do to have a stronger personal brand and gives you an overall score. But that's just give context. But the way it works is anybody can sign up and kind of get a diagnosis for free, understand what's bad and, and some basic understandings of of what they can do to improve it. For $100 a year, you can upgrade to like our full tool set. So it's a web-based SaaS model where you pay yearly. That gives you the ability to kind of DIY, do it yourself and take the steps you need to monitor, improve, bury, delete, et cetera. Uh, and then on top of that, we have um, what we call kind of a concierge service. And basically some people come to us and say, look, I'm in a situation where it's really difficult. My, the products made it very clear what I need to do, but I'm not going to do it. And I need someone to do some of this kind of upfront heavy lifting, in which case you can pay us and you have a team of in-house people who go and kind of do that work for you. That could be building websites, helping you write blog posts, uh, creating kind of online content, going through removal processes, et cetera. And you know, those people usually stay for a little bit and then go back to the software once we're done. Uh, and that's kind of the model. So we get you in for free and then you either upgrade and we try to keep you in our paid ecosystem where you're at least paying us hundred bucks a year. And occasionally you upgrade to a higher end service. So you're usually upgrading to a higher end service because you've got a really difficult negative issue you're dealing with, or you have some ambitious personal branding goals that you want us to help you with. Got it. And so how much is the, I guess, the kind of done for you service, if you're calling it that? How much is it? Yeah. So you got the hundred dollars. That's kind of the tool, right? And then uh, done for you. How much is that? So, oh, how much is the cost? Got it. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's, it depends on average. Customers end up paying us about $10,000 a year. Got it. That's on average. Uh, I'd say the, but on the minimum end, you're probably going to end up paying us, you know, $7,000 a year for that. So, you know, it becomes expensive, but we let you pay monthly, et cetera. So it's paid up month to month. And most people end up staying with us for longer than a year. But again, we realize that's not for everyone, which is why for people who don't have that kind of budget, they've got the, you know, $100 a year tool that really walks them through doing all that work themselves. Yeah, that's a good price. I mean, for, you know, any kind of reputation management that we do. You're not going to get the price like that anywhere else, especially at our quality. Yep. And the reason we're able to do it is because our model is really different. So number one, uh, and we can get into this a bit later, but we, we, we virtually don't have acquisition costs because all, because of our free tools, we do a lot of tool-based marketing, but the customers come to us, right? And then they, we upsell them, but we don't have that, you know, we don't have a large, large cost that goes to acquiring customers. And then our software automates some of the work that requires. So it allows us to kind of purely invest on the service side, on the, on the stuff that requires a human touch. And with a lot of competitors, you know, it's more expensive and you're, and you're, all, you're also paying for those acquisition costs and you're paying for some of that stuff that could be automated. So you get a much higher quality with us that none of our competitors are able to do. Love it. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, I mean, from, you know, the, the kind of reputation management and we rarely do it, but for clients, you know, for one of them uh, recently, they paid about 75 grand over a period of three months, right? So it's, it's way more expensive than what you have. And it sounds like yours is a lot more comprehensive. So I think a lot of people listening to this should definitely check it out. Yeah. Um, if there's any kind of reputation management issues at all, I think it's a, it's a sweet deal, even at, you know, 10 grand plus or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and, and keep in mind too, like, even companies like like you just mentioned, we're, we 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 try to stick to. We have a few exceptions, but we're generally working with individuals and consumers, right? So a lot of times, like a, a reputation management company, 
they get a bunch of people where it's like, look, my budget's ten, fifteen thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, and it's like you're not you you know that's not attractive to an agency or or another reputation management company. So it's like send them to us because we can do it. We'll give you a referral fee. Like we actually have a good relationship because we don't go after you know that's not our model. We try to do mass consumers, get them on a one hundred dollar a year product. We have services because some of them need it. So a lot of times, well, it, it's high quality work, but we don't try to compete with the people, you know, charging 75K over three months for probably a corporation or enterprise. And it's like, yep. if you're dealing with people, like give us the people that aren't of interest to you because we can probably help them. Good. We'll talk after this. So I guess going into marketing, you talked about tool-based marketing. So I'm assuming these are you, you have your free tools, but can you kind of elaborate on what you mean by tool-based marketing and how, did, how you ended up getting traffic to those tools? So, you know, our growth can be, all of our growth has been, I guess you could call it organic, but, you know, it comes from word of mouth SEO and what I'd say tool-based marketing. But what we've done is we've basically followed the trends of the need of consumers in this space. Like I said, when we started, there weren't no macro trends of people, you know, there were no online background checks yet. There were no, people weren't looking, how do I clean up my social media? But what they were looking for, if you had a negative Google result, Right, you knew it was an issue. That's those. That was a need in the beginning days. And what we made sure is we showed up for all those. You were. We knew people were looking for these solutions. So what we did is, you know, we created a free tool to help you. We made sure we we had great content around all the SEO terms someone would type in when this happened to them, and basically create really great free tools, really great content. Make sure it was SEO friendly. So when that need, like when the original need was, how do I fix a negative Google result? How do I deal with? Uh, revenge porn site. It's like we made sure we were there and you'd find us and we'd have this tool and we'd get you in our ecosystem. And as we've grown, we've followed that model. Like again, there's macro trends that have changed even in the last two years. Like I said, the idea of an on, it's really called an online background check. Most of the major background checks offer it. There's companies that are third parties that you know companies use to perform these. So we do the same thing. How do you clean up your social media? How do you delete how do you find bad tweets? How do you pass an online background check? And it's the same process kind of we do is we find that we follow the need, create great free tools and resources around it, and just make sure it's easy to find when people are looking for solutions. And that's kind of always been our marketing strategy. Love it. Yeah, that's so smart. When you think about you know HubSpot, how they grew through their, their website greater, and that's just another good example of an inbound kind of tool. I think a lot of people are, you know, even building these tools nowadays is getting easier and easier, right? Did you guys just kind of uh, have one of your developers code it up, or what did you guys do? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, so when I say these free-based tools, sometimes they're these standalized tools, but our whole product, as we build a product, we always create a freemium version, right? Got it. Okay. It's basically, we just offer, we offer a lot of our tools. So we evolve our tools to meet the needs of like where we see the market. And then we give a lot of it away for free. So it's all built into the, our product development schedule. Sounds good. Yeah, that's that's so smart to have a, a free version each time. I think a lot of people should consider that for sure. Okay, so let's kind of switch gears here and then we'll work towards uh, kind of wrapping up as well. So what's one big struggle you faced while growing this business? Because we all know it's not all sunshine and flowers. No, it is not. You know, I, I try to think of it in terms of like, what are some things that I wish I had like, you know, what are some things that had I done or figured out earlier, my life would have been a lot easier. And like, it's as simple as this. And a lot of it, I think, came from just, you know, trying to follow the classic, like, startup VC model, what do VCs want? And and really, like, one of the things I learned was, for a while, we were trying to force the market into our ideal business model. And what I meant was, like, pure SaaS, right? That's the scalable thing. That's what everybody wants to see, pure SaaS. 
But especially when we started out and the people coming to us had big needs, you know, some of them said, yeah, that's great, but I do need services on top of this. And we were really resistant to doing that because we're like, no, 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 you know, that's not the business model we want. And as finally we changed our mindset of like, what, why are we trying to do that? Let's, let's build a business model around what the market wants rather than force the market into a business model that we want. And while it was, you know, like it wasn't necessarily ideal on paper, that's what we did in it. And our business exploded and, and we've done things to change it. But I think that's a really important lesson. We resisted what the market wanted because we wanted to fit this ideal business model. And I think it slowed us up for a couple of years. Love it. Yep. Great. So what is, I guess in terms of habits, I mean, how do you structure your day? Kind of what important habits do you start your day with? I'm always interested in kind of, you know, how, how people go about things. I'm like super simple when it comes to this stuff. Like I don't have like this crazy, you know, I, I meditate before in the morning to clear my head and then I, I put the same clothes on so I don't have decision fatigue going in. And then I, you know, I, I make sure like I, I stand up like for, I, I honestly think it's real si- simple. I lay out all the time. I'm reexamining. I make sure I always know what my long-term and short-term goals are and what I think the important tasks are to accomplish them. And then I hold myself to them. Every day I know I've got what the task is and I, I just don't leave until I do it. And I, I, it's that simple. And I reevaluate, am I working on the right stuff? But it really just comes down to what do I think my plan is? And just honestly, I hold myself to finishing those things and changing them if I need to. And, that, and that's what keeps me productive. Great. Love it. So your goals, I mean, some people have their goals kind of plastered on a wall in front of them. You know, do you, how do you do it? Do you just, how do you remind yourself that this is the thing I need to do every single day? I, I have a notebook. I, I, I don't even, I don't use any apps. Like I like physically writing it down and like looking the space so I can put notes on it. So I've, I've, I just carry like a little notebook around forever and I'm always just writing down and changing, like looking at my, you know, what are my goals and what do I think I need to do this week to accomplish them? And what will be successful every Every week, I'm kind of understanding, like, what are the things I need to do this week that I think need to get done this week? What are my goals? And like I said, I just hold myself to them. And every week, I do that. And then about once a month, I probably look at the bigger picture again and make sure, like, it could happen earlier than that because maybe I learn a big piece of information or, or, like, a big event happens. But other than that, I'm just, you know, every month or so, I try to reevaluate. Am I hitting the goals? Do the goals need to change? What are the tasks I need to go? And, and I, you're just kind of going through that process on a, on a fluid basis. But... I think the two parts are going through that process on a fluid basis, writing them down, and then just holding yourself to what you wrote down. Great. What's one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value? Could be like Evernote, for example, but not your tool. One new tool that, um, saying added value to me personally? Yep. Could be business too. So I'd say personally, like a tool that I, I really, really like is an app called Blinkist. And yeah, what that does is, you know, you know, that stat that says like the average CEO reads like 60 books a year. Yep. I, I personally find that hard to believe because like that's, you know, that's a, more than a book a week. And maybe that's true. Like I don't, I don't always find the time to read a book a week, but I do try to figure out that I'm reading the right books can be very, very valuable. And Blinkist is a way to kind of pinpoint what those are. It's pretty much spark notes for like, nonfiction and business books. So like you can, you know, they're, they're like toilet reading. They like break them down into 15 minute summaries. And that's a great way. It allows me to, cause I don't read 60 books a, a year. So I, when I do read books, I need to make sure they're good. And this kind of gives you a way to like research the merits of one and, and, and getting a sense of which ones you think could be really valuable for you and then going and reading those ones. So I love that app. 
Oh, cool. So you use it to preview the book, basically. Yeah. So what Blinkist is, is it's like they, 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 some, like they take all these business books and nonfiction and create like these, it's like the cliff notes, right? The spark notes of these books. So you read like the main themes in like 15 minutes. And I use that as a way to pinpoint, oh, you know what? I want to read that full book. That was really interesting. Got it. So I use it as like my research tool to pick what books I think I should read. That's really smart. I, I used to have Blinkist and I was just like, man, I, I just want to, I want the whole thing. Cause I, I just couldn't get a, a the, the summaries just didn't do it for me. Right. But the way you're using it as a, as a process to kind of, as a gateway to get into the, the, like a, a book you really want to read. That's really smart. Exactly. So like, if you know, you need to want to read a book, go read it. But for me, it's like, oh, I heard something about this and I'll read the summaries and some of them I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I, and then the ones that I'm like, yeah, that summary is not enough. Then I go read the book. So like I use it as like a feeder thing for like what books I will read because like again I don't read sixty books a year and I, I it, it blows my mind that CEOs do that according to the stat but so the books I do read I use Blinkist as like almost like a feeder program. Awesome. Well, final question for you, Pat. What is one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone since we you know touched upon the subject of books? You know, so I don't. It's not technically a business book. Doesn't have to be. I tell everyone. Uh, and we just, a book I read very early on that really reshaped my thinking. It was called Made to Stick. It's by uh, two brothers, Brian and Chip Heath. I think that's their name. And really, it's about how do you tell a how do you get how do you craft a very powerful message that sticks? Why do some stories stick and some don't? And how do you use that to like communicate strongly? And to me, that especially if you're a founder or a CEO. That's so much of your job is, is being really clear on what you want and don't. And it, take, it, it forces you to be disciplined. I really do believe that if you don't have a clear message that you can articulate, it means you haven't thought your, what you want out fully, right? Your plan, your thoughts, your goals. And that book really kind of it, – it's just a really powerful book that I think helps you reframe your thinking to be clear. And I think all things follow that. Love it. Well, Patrick, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, you can you know go to brandyourself.com to, to check out the business and you can go to uh, patrickambron.com to learn more about me. All right. Thanks so much, Patrick. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.